got a voice. Oh, wow.
was lovely Seaside Quartet. Thank you so much. As I was enjoying it, I thought, I could listen to that all day. And then it occurred to me, they're playing today at 3 o'clock over in Krill. So my dream is a reality. We could listen to them literally all day. So enjoy them uh, again this afternoon at 3 o'clock over on the uh, PLNU campus if you like. My name is Melissa. I'm one of the pastors here always. It is one of my greatest joys on a Sunday to welcome us as we gather to worship and seek to lift up Christ as one body together. And as you walked in the doors this morning, you got from a smiling usher one of the bulletins. And I'd like to walk you through because we're about to enter into it, folks, my friends. The Advent season is upon us, so I want to note some things that are coming soon. And as we talk through that, if you're at the end of the aisle and you've got the black friendship notebook there, if you would reach over, pick that up, sign it, and send it down the row. That's a great way to let us know things that are happening in your life, updates. Also share who you brought with you this morning. Your church staff reads over and prays over those entries every week. So thanks for filling that out. Well, we are, as I said, moving toward Advent, but before we get to the Advent season, we've got Thanksgiving. And every year we partner with the Nazarene Church here in town, Southeast uh, Church of the Nazarene, and we help with their Thanksgiving meal. And in addition to helping with that meal, we've also been invited to partner with Living Water Church of the Nazarene, which is in East Village downtown, to help with their Thanksgiving meal. So not only are food items requested, but also your presence at those meals. And so if you'd like to learn more about that, there's certainly more info here in your bulletin. But as you walk out the doors of the building here and turn right, you'll see a huge sign-up board right outside the children's building. We still have a few items left and some volunteer slots left. I'll be at Living Water on Thanksgiving morning serving if you'd like to join me and my family. It's a wonderful way for us to join arms and link up with our brothers and sisters and what they're doing around our city. Also, as you move down through the bulletin, you will see that the Advent activities and events and Sundays are listed there. If you'd like more detailed info, you can get a card that looks just like this as you walk out the doors here in the foyer. It's the Advent Events and Services card, and you'll see all the things that are coming, like Children's Moms for Christmas and the Children's Musical, what's happening for Christmas Eve. And starting next Sunday, we're kicking off our partnership with Angel Tree by putting out the tree in the foyer, we can start already thinking through how we will take care of children in our community who have an incarcerated parent or both parents. All of these things we'll be entering into together as we lean into and anticipate the birth of Christ together. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of this loving community. And yesterday showed that as we gathered here for a day of service. And several of you went out to the community to partner with Living Water Church of the Nazarene a trafficking shelter called Generate Hope that we partner with, and to also help do some cleanup around our city and canyons and different neighborhoods. You're a really great group of people to be connected to. Whether this is your home church or your business, we're so glad you're here this morning. I'd invite you at this point to stand, turn to each other, and pass the peace of Christ.
Before they call, I will answer. Where they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy men, says the Lord. What am I supposed to say? The word of the Lord.
Amen. Thank the Lord for the mercy he shows to us and for the hope that we have in him. Let's stand up as we sing together again. 436, the song of love.
called to the discipline of creating space. Creating space where we might hear your voice acknowledging the space where our resources are inadequate. A space where we allow to bubble to the surface our feelings of inadequacy, hopefulness, helplessness, joy, concern, and the hope in the Lord not in fear, but simply in honesty before you. So this morning we create space to worship. We create space to pray. We create space to listen to each other and to you. Help this not to be frightening for anyone, Lord, but instead to be insightful as to how you meet us when we create space. Space to listen and love and care. Space to follow in obedience your agenda more than our own. And in these moments, Lord, one of our prayers is that your agenda might joyfully become our agenda. That we might be surprised this day as to how it unfolds. <coughs> that we might be brought out of our regular routine to see what it is that you bring across our path and surprise us with your presence. In the same way, Lord, surprises as to how the routine can become a sacred journey with you. How the rhythms of our life can honor you and draw us closer into your presence. So this morning, in this rhythm of prayer, this routine that's part of our Sunday morning, hear our prayers. We lift up to you, people we love, who are close to us, part of our family, part of our network of friends. Their names come to mind, their faces, right before us. And their circumstances, Lord, we're not even sure at times how to give advice. And maybe that's instructive to us that we can simply offer the ministry of presence and grace to those people in our life. We bring to you this morning the things with which we struggle, the people with whom we struggle. You give us insight into new patterns that might break new ground. Break us out of our routines and ruts where divisions dominate. And instead, Lord, help us to see common ground, places of unity, opportunities to reconcile, to conceive, to offer hope. 
Most of all, Lord, this morning, please hear our prayer. We long for your spirit to abide, not simply among us, though we do ask for that, but abide in us as well. May it be the thing that unites us one to another, the common spirit that abides within. Will you please make your dwelling place in our hearts? Purify us from all those things that would separate us from you. Find in us a willing spirit to be cleansed by your grace. For that, Lord, seems to us is exactly what it means to allow heaven to come to earth for your will to be done here as it is in heaven. And so to that end, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power glory
chapter 1, verses 3 to 14 from the New International Version. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Halfman, and uh, some of you probably know I typically have the privilege and honor of leading worship in a second service. Um, it's even greater privilege and honor that you asked me to come share a song this morning. Uh, I'm going to be sharing a song that might be more familiar to the crowd uh, in first service, but uh, even if you are familiar with it, uh, change up some of the chords to add a little bit of internal tension to what I feel is a genre that sometimes is lacking in um, with that. <laughs> chords are a little harder, so if I mess up, that might be a little too much tension. <laughs> um, so I invite you to um, just relax and and we'll see the songs He's awakening
It says, now abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I think I've kind of on my journey just discounted the other two because I want to focus in on what's most important, but I come to this passage in Colossians and it depicts a slightly different arrangement of these three. Paul says, I, I thank my God. The one who is the father of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. I thank him for you. The faith that you have in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all of the saints. And this faith and love are born out of the hope you have stored up for you in heaven. This hope that you've heard from the word of truth, the gospel. It's come to you and you've received it. So here in this particular passage, the grouping of these three follows what feels like kind of a different order of importance. Maybe importance isn't the right word. But it says that faith and love spring forth from hope. And that this hope is stored up for us in the heavenly realms. One of the questions I wrote in my margin many, many years ago was, how do I tap into this stockpile of hope that's held there for me? Particularly when I need it. I don't know if you ever come to times when you feel like you could use a little dose of hope, but if faith and love spring out of it and you feel like it's in short supply, it seems to me that it may be difficult in those moments to actually exercise faith, to actually engage in love toward one another, because hopefulness seems to have drained out of the equation. Circumstances seem to have robbed you or robbed me of what it might mean to actually live in a place of hopefulness. What is it that might rob us of hopefulness? Well, there are all kinds of things that might rob us of hopefulness. Simply, the circumstances of life. We have the privilege of being invited to the journey of numerous people who are in moments of crisis because circumstances seem to have robbed them of a vision for anything that's beyond the circumstances that are right in front of them. Circumstances can rob us of hope. I think that's important to note because Paul is writing to a church, I understand about 100 miles east of Ephesus, Ephesus being the central city in this region. Paul, having been in Ephesus, it appears, sends individuals to Colossae to begin a church, this city probably dominated by Gentiles, and the church most likely comprised of Gentiles. Living in the Roman Empire, 
At the time that this was written, or at least when we believe it was written, under the rule of Nero, during a time when Nero was beginning to exhibit some very psychotic symptoms. His paranoia was setting in. He thought everybody was out to destroy him, to take away his power. This strange fluctuation between ignoring the important matters of state and then when he gets involved with matters of state, he does things that create even more chaos. A city that's trying to understand what it means to live under that type of rule. A city that we are told may also have had at least an understanding of a, a deep darkness of spirituality. An understanding of spirituality, but in the sense that certain spirits needed to be appeased. A setting in which it was very likely, particularly when we read this book, this letter to the church, that religious thought became an interesting mix. Sure, there's Jesus, we've heard that good news, but there's so much else we need to pay attention to. This story of Jesus, yeah, that seems important, along with a lot of other things that we believe are true about spirituality. And Jesus then has the potential, in a setting like that, simply to become one of many things that draw our allegiance, our attention, our faith, So Paul writes a letter and over and over again speaks about the centrality of Christ. The power of what Jesus did on the cross. The gospel message. The hope that gives us a future. The hope that provides for the people a faith and a love. So Paul steps into this letter to remind them that in the midst of all the circumstances they are facing, Christ, Christ is central. What Christ has done, the grace, the good news, the word of truth, the gospel, is the message. So we have what for the church of Colossae would robbing them of their hope for circumstances that they face. I don't know what circumstances you might face, but my guess is you can go quickly to things that might chip away at our sense of hope, wondering if a future might be better than a present, These words, they jump off the page. Sometimes they kind of beg for a definition, and yet when we try to find them, they seem to elude us a little bit. Faith, 
the Hebrew writer tells us is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is buying into that which has not yet come to pass, so closely linked to hope. Faith is believing in what Christ has done is sufficient for what we have done. Faith is receiving God's grace and realizing that not only have I not done anything to earn it, but I can't do anything to earn it. I simply find myself being drawn to this place of obedience out of gratitude. Faith. Love at least the way God exhibits, exhibits it toward us is this forgiveness before it's even asked for. It is grace that pours over before we even realize how desperately we need grace. Love is this giving of ourselves so that the other might find in their life the same kind of joy that we have found in ours. Love is surrender of privilege so that others might receive benefit. Love. Love, as expressed by Jesus, sometimes is far better explained in story form than it is in definition form. When I see it, I go, oh, that's love. Hope. Holding on, much like faith, to that which is yet to come to pass, it is a future looking with a backward glaze. Gaze is what I meant to say, not glaze. <laughs> a backward gaze that says, oh, look at what God has done. I have hope to move forward into the future because I just got reminded of the ways in which God brought me through in the past. Hope. Hope that looks back, as 1 Peter 1.20 does, and says, oh, before creation even occurred, the Lamb was chosen that we might be reconciled, that we might be redeemed, that we might be restored, that we might be saved, that we might be held by God. Looking back and realizing that this has been put in place, I have a hope that the completion of that which began long before is coming to fruition. In spite of circumstances that are right before me, there are some ways in which this letter to the church, it's amazing it survives. As best we can tell, if it's written when we think it was, within a very short span of time, a terrible earthquake came, and for all practical purposes, destroyed this city. I don't know how many people might have been destroyed in that. But 
when you think things couldn't get worse, sometimes it appears as if they do get worse. And yet this powerful letter moves through those circumstances to reach us today because of the hope that holds people true. I shared in chapel a week ago a portion of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story that has captured my attention for a different passage of scripture in a different way, but I still am taken in the midst of this notion of hope, of a follower of Christ who faced horrific circumstances. And what he spoke into a piece of paper by jotting down a poem. It came, we are told, the day after he got word on July 20th, 1944, that the plot to assassinate Hitler had failed. He had been in prison, political prisoner, well-educated, I think the youngest person to ever teach at the University of Berlin, a deep thinker, moved greatly by his trip to the United States at one point in time and his interaction with Abyssinian Baptist Church, his journey took him back to his homeland and there found the work of the Third Reich undermining everything that he believed about freedom and the gospel and began to actually work at undermining those who were in power and as a result of that double agent work was imprisoned his political action. When it came to his attention that the plot to assassinate Hitler had failed, the next day he wrote a poem on July 21st, 1944, believing that his fate of death had been sealed, which in fact did come to pass in April of 1945 at the gallows of Flossenburg. I don't think I will do his poem justice, but he writes a poem in the midst of circumstances that you would think would rob one of all hope. And in the midst of these circumstances, he actually writes a poem about freedom. Of all things. It's broken into four stanzas. The one first stanza speaks about discipline in response to things that bind us in our personal habits. The second one speaks about action and how so often we are bound by inaction and lack of responsibility for the things that are happening around us. The third stanza speaks about suffering and what it means to taste freedom in the midst of suffering. The last stanza speaks about death and the triumphant notion of freedom in the midst 
of overwhelming circumstances. It begins like this. If you set out to seek freedom, above all else, seek discipline, lest you find that for lack of discipline of soul and senses, your passion and limbs lead you confusedly hither and yon. Chaste be the body and spirit, subject to your will, that it might accomplish the goals that have been given to it. For no one learns the secrets of freedom apart from self-control. Stanza two. Dare to do justice, not what fancy might have you do. Give no time to that which might be, but instead grab hold of that which is real. For the world of thought is escape, but freedom calls us to action. So step past the room of anxious waiting into the storm of events carried there only by God's commands and your faithfulness. And there you will find freedom exuberantly welcoming your soul into its midst. Stanza three. Oh, glorious transformation. Your powerful and active hands now bound, powerless, alone. You see the end of your actions, quiet, still. You lay down your struggle for justice, quietly in faith in the hands of one who is mightier than you. And then for one blissful moment, you taste freedom. And just as quickly surrender it to God so that it might be made whole. Fourth verse. Come with me now. <laughs> to the highest point on the road to freedom, death itself. Lay down the chains that bind, smash the walls of mortality, smash the blindness of the soul, so that we might see that which mortal souls have kept us from seeing. I have sought you through discipline, through action, through suffering, but now, dying, I see your face in the countenance of God. I cannot imagine hope in those circumstances. 
what it means to step into your journey, my journey, into a place where hope carries me through. But I'm telling you that what I read in Paul is that hope has been stored up for you in heaven to access so that love and faith <laughs> might follow. Our reaction is sometimes so dramatically different. And I'm not saying this is necessarily for you, but I think we fall prey to the things that lull us to sleep when it feels like we have no hope. We have things that begin to fill that vacuum, that void. We live in an age, in a culture of distraction. <coughs> we find so many things that will keep us occupied to not have to face what it feels like when hope begins to be chipped away. In fact, I think it's the great, um, the great plan makes it sound that it's intentional, in some ways I think it is, of our culture to fill that vacuum so that it can serve someone else's purpose. When hope begins to be chipped away, it gets filled with the latest product, with the latest technology, with the latest methodology, with the latest trend, with the latest thing that I think will fill what feels empty inside of me. When hope leaves a space that longs to be filled, there is no shortage of things that garner my attention and lead me to believe that they will satisfy the very thing that I think I've lost and I need to replace. Every electronic device, every new image that passes through my eyes, it's appealing. Every new activity, every new effort at productivity, everything that I can grab hold of, it gives me a wonderful moment of distraction. And somehow in distraction, I can forget the struggle for a few moments. I think we also try and find hope in little things that we think eventually will satisfy our problems. I, I was stunned. I, I don't know what prompted me to do this, but I, this last week, happened to see the statistic and look up to verify that what I was seeing was true. The amount of money we, as a nation, the United States, spend on lotteries. Does $7.2 billion seem like a lot to you every year? It just seems like a lot of money that I think goes toward this notion of hope. Hope that somehow I can get the ticket that will fill that empty place when hope has been chipped away. $7.2 billion, that seems like a lot of money. The actual number is $72 billion. Every year, 
Moving from, I think, the people that can least afford that. And I hear the argument, and it helps our education. It seems to me, maybe this is opinion, and I need to step away from a pulpit for a moment. But that's not the best way to figure out education. And perpetuate what we already know lies beneath the surface. And that is trying to fill that empty space of hope with something that will never, ever, ever satisfy. Paul says, you've heard the word of truth. It's the gospel message. It's Jesus at the center. It is Jesus that brings us this hope. It is Jesus that will carry us through. Help us to tie into a storyline that is bigger than we are. That leads someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to be in the midst of the worst of circumstances, knowing that his death sentence has been signed and to say, oh, but let me talk to you about freedom. Let me tell you about true freedom. Freedom that frees me from the habits and bondage of my own ways and desire towards sin. Freedom that moves me into a place where I'm no longer standing on the sidelines, but I'm speaking up and speaking into because I have hope. Freedom that recognizes it's not just suffering, it's suffering that I have chosen to step into on behalf of someone else it brings about a redemptive notion. There I find freedom because I have exerted what I can to try and make a difference. Freedom that doesn't see death as the end, but sees it as an unveiling of that which has always been around us. And that is God's grace that has extended from before time began till the end of time. God's redemptive, reconciling, grace-filled work in our life. It is that same notion of hope that led Teresa of Avila in her prayer to the prayer palace where she proclaims it doesn't matter what happens to me outwardly, I can always inwardly go to the place of prayer where I meet my Savior. And there I always find hope. And it is in this stockpiled place of hope that if we will access it, we will never grow short on faith. We will never run out of love because it springs forth from this place of hope. I don't discount any circumstances you face. And I am guessing that for some it feels as much of a prison as if you were in a cell. I simply want to say that at the cross, there is a place of hope. A hope that breeds the very thing we need in the midst of those circumstances. It is a vision that is born out of what we have seen God do in the past. It carries us in to that place where we long for its fulfillment but live in the now 
by God's grace, with faith and love, hope, it is yours this day. It is not pie in the sky, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful if, oh, if it could only. It is not buying a $2 ticket that somehow gives you some glimpse of what could be and dwelling there. It is found in the word of truth, the gospel. The good news is this. Jesus Christ has come. We are stepping into a season of anticipation. This season means nothing if it doesn't mean hope. And so will you join me on this journey of hope that we will carry each other as Christ carries us into our future. Oh Lord, this morning, Bring us to your cross. The cross of salvation, of redemption, the cross of hope. May we this morning find ourselves in a place where circumstances begin to shrink and your sovereignty begins to grow. where our problems begin to lose their power because your omnipotence comes into view. This morning, may our sins fall beside us, no longer clinging to us, because this morning we have access to your forgiveness. And because of that, O oh Lord, may the walk in grace give us a lightness to our steps because hope carries us. Hope showers us. Hope blesses us. May we this morning, Lord, live into not only the hope that has been stored up for us, but then what springs forth from it. Boost our faith. Give us grace to love. Empower us with your peace, we pray. Amen. Go in God's goodness and in God's hope. God bless you.